Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and today I am joined by my longtime friend, Stephanie. Now, Stephanie is one of those people that I met at the very beginning of my career, back around 2007, 2008, and it kind of blows my mind when I actually think about how long I've really known you. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I mean, where we... I remember, I remember sitting in the studio with you and talking about getting married. And now look, we're both with three kids. It's crazy. Well, and that's the thing. I don't feel like you and I are that much older. Like, I don't feel like it has been 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, but isn't that what life is about? I mean, I don't know if you've heard the adage. I'm sure you have. Um, the days are long, but the years are short. I feel that is so true because it's been a blink for us. And yet... I know each of us go through crazy things in our days, being a mom, being full-time employees, you know, working hard and all of that stuff. But it's just so true, what, Sarah, time flies. <laughs> what, you got married in what, 2009? I have to think about that. Yes, I think 2009. Because, <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, the reason why I remember yours is because I knew it was a year before mine, because I remember being invited to your wedding because you're also a November bride, are you not? I am, yes. And I remember being in going to your wedding, which was gorgeous. Oh, thank you. See, this is how long we've known each other to the point where I do remember. So when I used to do nights and I used to do like the top five at nine, Stephanie would come in with her nonprofit and you would bring your then boyfriend or fiance, Corey. And yeah. you and I just immediately formed this different bond that was more on a personal level. Obviously, now more than 10 years have passed and you, you were at my wedding. <laughs> Yeah, I remember it. And I remember watching you grow and seeing the excitement. And I always felt like, you know, talking about how my wedding was a year before yours, I always felt like I was like right ahead of where you were going every step. And it was like, okay, I'm getting married. And then when you were getting, when you got engaged, I'm like, let me tell you everything you need to know, or, Hey, we're going to have kids or, Oh my gosh, we're going to have three kids, you know, or what have you. Like, it's just, it's been really cool watching, watching you um, and watching you grow and being a part of that process. So you were a pretty young bride then. You were a pretty young bride then too, right? Yeah, I was 25. Yeah. I mean, so when you and I were planning weddings, we didn't even have Pinterest. <laughs> no, no, there was no Pinterest. I mean, Facebook was like just semi around. <laughs> it was around, but not everyone was even on it like it is today. So no, trust me, I totally agree. And as soon as I met you, I did have that like... You were a mentor and a friend to me. You were someone I looked up to almost like in a big sister way. So you're right. You were like one step ahead of me, whether it was career wise and I got career advice from you, planning weddings. And then, of course, the kids. How old is your oldest kid now? He, it's, wait, is your son the oldest? Yeah. And are you ready? Wait for it. He is eight, Sarah. <gasps> eight. He is. Uh, he will be ahead of me in height probably in a couple, just a couple years. <laughs> I cannot believe he's eight. Although my oldest is turning seven in August. Oh my gosh. See, I'm telling you, this is this, the, when my parents, when our parents told us, Hey guys, you know, before you know it, enjoy these moments. Cause they're fleeting. I didn't believe them, but it's true. I mean, I look and I'm having real adult conversations with my oldest now. It's just, Oh, it's unfair. So you have eight and then is it six? Yeah. Eight, six and four. Okay, yours are perfect little stair steps. So right now I'm on 
uh, just shy of seven. My daughter will be five in about 10 days. And then obviously my youngest is only six months old. So you're like, like you and I already said, you're like one step ahead, but you have got boy, girl, boy, right? Yes. See a boy, I'm boy, girl, girl. But I even went to your house the one time I remember because I bought a bunch of your daughter's clothes off of you. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I love it. See, I mean, it's just it's cool that you get to create friendships along the way. And I remember the late nights driving downtown, coming in and doing some radio shows with you. And you're right. I had Corey come with me. And I remember when I would leave every time I, pulled, I would tell Corey, I'm like, this is someone who like, this is just not an acquaintance. This is someone who's a, a good friend. And I'm so excited to, to say 12 years later that we still are. I love that too. And honestly, that's my friends and I always talk about um, we're best friends raising best friends because we were friends first and then we started having kids. Now our kids are around the same age and we want them to be friends. So then it's like we're hanging out with our friends and their friends. And it is as much as it is weird getting older and certainly the responsibilities and obligations are more difficult. But that part is absolutely incredible to like grow old with your friends. It is. And you know, we need our friends because this parenting thing is hard work and we need people that we can be honest and real with and, um, and have deep conversations with when we're doing great and when we're struggling. How are you doing right now? Speaking of doing great or possibly struggling with everything going on, you run your own business now. So you're from home and you have the three kids. So what's home life like right now? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but yet it's beautiful. There are things within it that um, that I'm so grateful for. The extra time that I'm getting with my children, the, the times I get to spend lunch and dinners and breakfast together, the slower pace. Um, we've moved out on a farm. And so now, you know, out on the farm, we get to go and like we're raising chickens and we're um, nursing orphaned kittens and we're doing things that we probably wouldn't be able to do if we were running around with what this, this current spring was supposed to look like, which was full of soccer practice and baseball games and swim lessons and everything in between. So there's really a lot of beauty in the pause. But being an entrepreneur and a business owner in the thick of it all has also been really, um, really, I'm using air quotes, fun. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> it is overwhelming. I mean, it's a lot to do. And when you're used to being able to find time to work when the kids are at school, you know, you've got to learn how to be creative. I, I read um, on a friend's Facebook post this weekend for... Um, he was commenting about Mother's Day specifically. And this guy was mentioning how awesome his wife was. And he said, she's the Swiss army knife with the spoon and kind of made a joke about it. And I was telling my husband, I said, I know what he means. As a mom, you know, we are having to, you know, wear so many hats, but then you throw in the pandemic and there's a whole nother hat we didn't know that we had to carry and wear too. And that's what we're doing. But you know, the beautiful thing in it all is I think I've been able to see that so many people are giving one another grace and um, flexibility and, and learning along the way because we all are learning. You know, that's the thing that I, I feel like I've used the word give yourself grace more than I probably, that phrase more than I ever have in my entire life, even though I am my own worst enemy and my own yeah. worst critic. And I think that I've been the hardest on myself. Like I'm the first one to tell others to give yeah. someone grace. Right. But then I 
all the time. My husband has to remind me because I'll be like, I feel like I failed one of my kids at some point today. And it could be something as simple as they asked me to play Barbies and I couldn't. Or I feel like I fell behind on my kindergarten work today and I should have been more aware and I failed my son somehow. Or I'm dealing with the baby and I didn't get to pay attention to that meeting the way that I should have. And now I feel like I'm behind. Like it's really easy to get caught up in all of those things. And I have to take a step back and remind myself that there's only a hundred percent and we're dividing it how many ways right now it's impossible to be more and i say that out loud right now and even still like i know personally i still want more for myself and it's i'm I'm giving myself impossible expectations absolutely and then you know when we do that then we're just setting ourselves up to fail i i have always said this um and i believe it but it's a lot harder to um to say it and believe it for yourself is that, you know, you wake up on a Monday with like a full glass of water. That's like your energy tank, right? It's full. You got lots of energy you can bring to the week. And, and yet there's no way to really refill that water as you drink from it, as you use it, as you engage with people, as you do your work, whatever, you're starting to deplete your energy. And by the end of the week, you know, you're ready for the weekend to refill. Well, I've been finding for me being able to get as many hours in to work that I need to, to support my client load and all of the priorities I have, you know, I'm, I am creating time or I'm thinking I'm creating time by waking up at two, two thirty in the morning, several days a week to work before the family wakes up so I can get some hours in. Well, what I'm learning is, yes, Stephanie, you can't add more time. You can't put more energy in your bucket. So by the end of the week, sometimes I will have thinking that I was doing good throughout the week by work, getting up early and working longer. I'm like exhausted by the end of the week. Wait, you might as well, you can't do it. It's not functional. Where are you, when are you sleeping? Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I try, you know, somewhere between 10 and two and then, um, and then I get up and see what I can get done. And sometimes there's an afternoon nap in there when the kids are being crazy and they take, you know, um, I'll send them to their rooms for a nap and mama gets a little, a little shut eye. (laughs) It's crazy, Sarah. This is crazy. That's part of the thing right now that I'm struggling with is like, I do get up before the kids, but I'm talking like 6.30, because my struggle is now I still have a six month old that's still getting me up one, two, three times a night. So my sleep is already so depleted. I know that if I deplete it that much more, then I won't be able to get through a normal day with the kids. Or I will, I know I will have a very short fuse and be a lot angrier or worse than anything. If I don't get enough sleep, I don't have the right mental blockades up so that I can deflect all of the news so that I can arm myself to deal with my day better. And then it's like anxiety takes over. So it's like, I can only get so much time. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, and that's the truth. I mean, literally this week it hit me. I thought, you know what, Stephanie, um, doing more does should is not something we can do right now. You know, right now we are all that we have. And if we aren't caring for ourselves, how can we care for the people who look up to us? And I'm talking about those little ones running around the house. Um, yep. You know, if this is an opportunity for us to show them how to handle difficult times and what matters and and really what should you prioritize um interestingly enough this has been not only has it been difficult because i'm you know helping my children with school and all that stuff but i've got um two 
my two boys have some unique sensory needs and I'm noticing things that maybe otherwise I would have overlooked, you know, that because I, I wasn't seeing it in their, how they're doing school or wasn't seeing it in how their days kind of um, went through. And so now I'm even more hypersensitive to, all right, yeah, you know, if I, if I work all the time, I'm missing way too many things. And, and that, quite frankly, is not what life's about. So when you say sensory issues, what do you mean by that? So when my oldest was in preschool, um, our junior kindergarten, he was unofficially diagnosed Asperger's. Um, so some people consider the Asperger's syndrome as a part of the autism spectrum. Um, the way that it was explained to me is that he really doesn't show any signs of autism, but that he shows more signs of the sensory elements that come with Asperger's specifically. And then just this um, early this spring in January, my youngest was diagnosed with sensory modulation disorder. Um, and I'm like, wonderful, <laughs> you know, let's figure this out. What does that mean? Um, so with my oldest, I started to notice that he was having some unique behavior issues that we couldn't figure out. And um, in having a conversation with a behavior therapist, what we realized is anytime he was having behavior struggles, it was related to something that was triggered by his senses. So in the morning, he would have major meltdowns. What we found out was, you know, I'm a morning person. So when I get up, I open all the blinds, I get really excited about the day. But when he got up, the sun that was coming in the, bl in the blinds that would hit his eyes actually um, was so bright to him, it was like he was actually staring at the sun versus just having Ooh. the yeah, so it, the way the senses work in his brain is the the it was actually painful. Or I'll never forget, I was cooking pickles um, with for, with cucumbers from my garden, and Eli came in and he lost it. I mean, lost it. And I was like, "Get over it! It's pickles." He could not stand the smell. Well, once I better understood what how his body worked, it wasn't just that the smell was bad. It was as he was breathing in the smell. It was like razor blades going down his throat. The smell was so intense. But what really gave us the diagnosis, you'll think this is funny, Sarah. Um, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. And I think for any parent <laughs> or mom specifically, there's so many times you're like, one day this will be funny. It's not funny today. Um, when he was in junior kindergarten, I'll never forget, I got a call from school and they said, you need to come get your son. And I was like, what happened? Well, I found out that it was field day and everybody else was really excited about field day. And Eli was excited about field day too, but he had done something at field day that the school was not happy with. In fact, he went and unplugged the DJ equipment and for about 20 minutes, they thought that he had broken, I don't know, $10,000 worth of equipment. <gasps> Yes. Oh my. Unplugged DJ equipment. Well, when school said, you know, like, let's talk about this. I said, my son doesn't even know how to plug anything into an outlet. So I was really concerned. Why was he doing this? And when I went to the behavior therapist, they said, actually, you should have been proud of your son. <laughs> I said, oh, really? For doing something socially unacceptable. She said, the way that his senses work, the DJ equipment was so loud in his ears. It was like someone had a drum and they were banging it in his ear nonstop. And he could not, he could not find a way to regulate that. So unplugging it was the only thing he could think to do 
So she's like, you should actually celebrate the fact that his solution, whereas it wasn't acceptable for the rest of the world, wasn't demolishing equipment, wasn't running into the street. It was unplugging something to stop it. It was the only way he could think. So that, you know, Eli's eight now. So that's been, you know, four years we've learned that Eli has these, you know, sensory triggers. Um, But what we've learned with Eli is he's what they call a sensory avoider. The loud noises, the smells, the sight, even unique touches. Like he wants to run away from that stuff. Luke, on the other hand, who is four now, um, was diagnosed with sensory modulation disorder, which is very similar. Um, His issue, though, is on the other end of the spectrum. So instead of avoiding things that are loud or bright or whatever, Luke, his body can't regulate how it takes in all of the unique senses coming in through, through his brain and his neurons. So for him, he actually seeks more. So like if he goes and he wants to like give you a high five or pat you, you know, because he's happy for you, he might push you and you might take that the wrong way. But really, he can't he can't um, correlate a push from a tap. Um, He will turn in circles nonstop and he can't he doesn't get dizzy. His brain can does not get dizzy when he is doing that. He you know, he. is always putting stuff in his mouth. He has an oral fixation and he can't differentiate from that all because his body can't modulate senses. So for Luke, instead of um, like with Eli and that loud noise, he could only focus on the noise with Luke. He, he has everything coming in at once. What he touches, what he hears, what he tastes, what he sees, it's all happening at the same frequency at the same time. So if I say, Hey Luke, go put your clothes on or go brush your teeth or whatever. Sometimes he can't even hear me because he can't differentiate me talking to him from what he is feeling with his toes on the feet, on the ground, touching the floor. So So how do your your two boys, since it sounds like they're at opposite ends, do they play well together or is it difficult for them since they process things so differently? Yeah, well, they get in a lot of trouble together, um, which some of that I realize is you know, brother behavior. Um, but I think others absolutely is because they're on the opposite ends of the sensory spectrum. Um, you know, Luke always wants to be touching. He always wants to be touching. So he will not leave Eli alone. Whereas Eli, you know, it wasn't until just this past year, quite frankly, that I could even get him to really give me a hug. You know, I mean, touching was not something that he was, you know, really open to. So yeah, they, it's, it's been interesting, Sarah, I've learned a lot. And there are so many times I sit back and think, gosh, like this parenting stuff is tough. <laughs> um, thank heavens, you know, I've got, you know, so my boys are what they are, what they call um, neuro atypical. Um, but my daughter is neurotypical. Um, however, she has her own, you know, unique elements. She didn't speak until she turned two. And that was because get this, this is crazy. Um, Lindy was a happy baby. She smiled all the time, never cried. I remember going to the pediatrician saying, you know, isn't she supposed to cry? And they're kind of like, don't put that in the universe. You have a good baby. Be happy about it. Well, what we found out in the long run is because she was so happy, she never formed muscles in her mouth that helped her be able to speak. So, yeah, yeah. So at two years old, she still wasn't talking and um, she has been in um, speech therapy ever since. Uh, She finally is, she's talking now, talking well now, but she's delayed and struggles with um, certain sounds. So, and of course, love her heart. I named her Lindy with an L and L's are one of her hardest letters. Um, 
But yes, yeah, so Sarah, all that to say, you know, I, I fear, I feel for a lot of parents out there, um, moms too, who are not only dealing with the pandemic stress, but then dealing with um, the NTI learning opportunities and what that looks like. But then on top of it, you know, the unique nuances that every kid faces. Well, it's, and it's on, when we're growing, when we're growing up thinking about becoming a parent, there are the people that struggle with fertility issues. And that's certainly never something that they thought was going to be in their realm. It's just something your body's quote unquote supposed to be able to do. And then you have kids and it's like it, no one that prepares you for every pregnancy is different. Every labor is different. Every child is so different. Every child that you have brother and sister is so unique and has you, you different needs. So it's like, even though you knew how to parent the first one, that doesn't necessarily prepare you for how to parent the second one. And no two children are alike. So there's no manual for this stuff. I mean, no. it really is a day by day, sometimes hour by hour, minute by minute situation where you're figuring it out. It is never a day where I don't learn something from my children. Absolutely. In fact, I actually think they teach me more than I teach them. You know, you bring up fertility issues and I remember, um, and I, I think you know this about my about our family, but my husband and I actually lost our first child, and it actually it was the impetus for me to write a book. Quite frankly, um, because through that experience, I got really, really deep in my faith, and I realized um, that I had an opportunity in such a, a hard time to decide if I was going to let life happen to me or if I was going to let it happen for me. And I remember being in church one night and I heard a baby yelling and screaming in the back of the church. I found out later it was actually my, uh, my cousin's child. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. Um, but she's screaming bloody murder in the back of church. And I was sitting there praying and I remember praying saying, you know, please, I will deal with anything, Lord, like give me the opportunity to be a mom. I can handle that. And now I giggle and I'm like, okay, God, like, <laughs> I don't know. Can I like wave my right white flag and surrender some days? Um, oh, trust me. I think we all are like, I'm done. I'm done. Is it bedtime? <laughs> yes. Yeah, stick a fork in me. I'm done. Yeah. Um, but, but I do believe that for me, that um, our, our struggles getting pregnant actually prepared me for parent being a parent. And I tell my oldest all the time, I said, you know, there was something about going through loss that made me, have a deep level of appreciation for what I do have. And it, sure. and it, and it, you know, it helped me think, look at things differently. I mean, you know, it helped me even when we were having our child, I didn't find out the gender and that was very purposeful for us because I did not care about that. I just wanted a healthy child and I didn't care about the things and I didn't care about any of the stuff that, you know, had the potential to, I don't know, sh shift, how I saw my pregnancy or how I saw my children or how I became a parent or any of that. Right. And now I look at it and I think, you know, I'm grateful that I've got these three little miracles, even if they have some unique nuances that we're learning through, we're learning through it together. And the beautiful thing is what I observe, you know, how each of my kids, all of their unique traits and quirks, it teaches me more about life. You know, Eli teaches me about the power of honesty. He, part of Asperger's for him is he lives in a black and white world. I mean, you ask him a question, he'll tell you the answer. Only now is he learning. He's like, mama, is that sarcasm? He doesn't understand a joke or sarcasm. Oh. Because he is, you know, you tell him something and that is it. And it can be enough to 
to overwhelm you. Like every day he's like, mama, do you have to go to work? Like, yes, I work every day, buddy. How many hours? You know, and it's that endless list of questions, but he, but I learned from him the power of being truthful. And, you know, I look at my daughter, Lindy, and, you know, for, for the first two years of life, I remember I kept praying just to hear her say, I love you, mama. Cause my husband and I were putting so much into her and I just wanted that. And I will never forget when she said it. And it was, you know, a year or two later than when most kids would, but it was proof to me that sometimes you can show love and do it in ways, even if you can't speak it. Right. Or we can speak it, Sarah. And how many times do we not call up the people we love and say it? And here's my daughter, who, you know, for years wanted to tell me and couldn't. Um, I mean, that's you know, so- I'm trying to rem- remind myself right now is that like, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I start, I've started to, especially in this time that I basically haven't left my house in two months. If I think of somebody, even in a fleeting moment, one of my friends, I'll text them and just, Hey, thinking about you, hope you're having a good day, whatever. And yeah. I don't know if it's a sixth sense in a weird way, but most of the time that I do that on a very random whim, I will get a text back that says, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that today. Or like the one time I text one of my friends, she was like, I was literally just locked myself in the bathroom and was crying on the bathroom rug because I didn't want my kids to see me cry because I didn't know how I was going to get through today. And she was like, and then you texted me. And I just think it is so important to make sure that you do tell people when you are feeling that way to make sure just to text somebody or just say, hi, how are you? Have a good day. Or you are going back to work, work today. Please be safe. I mean, it's never too soon or too much to tell someone you're thinking of them or to wish them well, especially right now when you can't physically touch them or see them just to tell them in some capacity. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but I almost feel even in this world where we can't hug or look at anybody else except our family, I actually have felt a deeper level of connection, not only with my own family, but with my close friends and loved ones. You know, I feel like um, I've st- we've stripped away the things in life that we've been able to hide behind, right? Like you can still hide behind social media, but the reality is, is we all know behind social media that there's more to the story. And now it's not about pretenses or what you wear or how much you make or what you're doing on the weekends or what friend groups you're a part of, because quite frankly, none of it matters. Instead, all that matters is, you know, who we are. And I think Sarah, you're right. I don't, I think it is a sixth sense. And I've been trying to do that too. When I think of someone, I'm like, Oh, I have to let them know that I'm thinking of them. Something as simple as that is can be life-changing and just what another parent or friend needs. So with everything going on and you're clearly well-spoken and (laughs) one thing that we haven't brought up yet is the fact that you're an author. So Mm -hmm. going back, we've really focused on mom, but part of your career journey, which has certainly played into you being a mother, but you were a career woman, you were a boss, you were over people, you had teams, you were in a region, and then you'd left it all. And now you've not only written a book, but started your own company. So tell me about your book, because that is certainly not something that most people ever dream that they're going to do, let alone actually doing it, getting it published. And now you go around and like do talk about your book places. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, it was never a dream of mine. 
Um, that was, I was not the person that grew up saying, I want to be an author. Uh, and I, I, it never crossed my mind. I love to read. I love books, but I never thought maybe my, I would write a book that someone else would love to read. But interestingly enough, Sarah, I will, I will never forget the middle of the night pregnancy insomnia experiences that I had, which actually helped to kickstart the book. Did you have any of those? Were you like up in the middle of the night when you were pregnant with your kids? Um, 100%. <laughs> it was the yeah. worst with my daughter, my second. I remember I literally barely slept. I felt like Goldilocks in the middle of the night. I would like try the couch, try the chair, try the bed, sit up in bed, roll on my side, roll on my back, lay on the floor. It was endless. I didn't sleep forever, right? which is kind of ironic because that daughter is almost five years old and still barely ever sleeps through the night fully. Oh. So <laughs> she prepared me for my insomnia. Well, yeah. So I remember, I mean, I had been writing off and on before then. Um, there were a couple things that happened in my life. And I remember thinking, this is really interesting. This was not by chance. I have to ca capture this so that I don't forget it. But it really wasn't until my pregnancy insomnias that I remember waking up several times thinking, okay, God, you, you and I have to have a conversation. Like what's going on? What do I need to get off my chest? And I would, I would go to the computer and I would put my hands on the keyboard. I'd close my eyes and then I would just let it pour out of me. And as I started to do all this writing, I did it all in secret. It really began quite frankly, as a conversation between me and God, it was a, it was my, a faith journey I was going on during, you know, some times when I was realizing I had to unpack things that were happening, beautiful things and not so beautiful things. And so I would start writing. And as I wrote, it would be like, I don't know, it'd be like something that had been holding me back had come out. And um, there were, there's actually a chapter in the book that I wrote about something that happened to me 20 years prior that I had been told I could never speak of. And if I spoke of it, that I would get in trouble. And I remember the day that I wrote that chapter and that feeling of, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize that the deep breaths that I'd been taking, I really hadn't been able to take them as deep as they should because I'd been holding on to something. So here I was, I was writing because I needed this outlet. It became, you know, yes, you're right. I was working crazy amounts of hours. I was covering a six state region. I had a team. I was ha growing my family. Um, I was working way too long and way too hard and all of these things were happening. And here I was adding something else to the list because I knew I needed to write. And then I remember my friend and I, um, we were coworkers and we both had this like weird feeling in our guts that the organization might be doing some shifts and we didn't know what that would look like for us. And so we had this honest conversation one day and we're like, what would you do if you were no longer working here? And I remember looking her or, quote unquote looking, it was virtual then too, um, having a look, you know, reflecting on her back to her and saying, you know, Marie, I don't, I don't know what I would do. What would you do? And she's like, I don't know what I would do either. I said, all right, well, let's switch it. What do you think I should do? If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, what do you think I should do? And she said, oh, I think you should write a blog. And I laughed. I'm like, there's no money in writing a blog. Like, how am I going to, you know, raise, make the money that I need to be able to support my family? And she's like, if anyone can figure it out, Stephanie, it's you. And I was like, oh, ha ha ha, you know, and kind of brushed it off. Well, I went to bed that night and I woke up the next day and I, and it was almost like she had put a charge within me. And I thought, well, I don't have to wait until 
I'm do a change in my career to do this. Like I'm going to start it now. So I started to write um, a blog and I started to share these little glimpses of unique perspectives that I had been finding in my life that I had been writing in secret with other people. And Sarah, it was so uh, overwhelming. I was so worried. How, how would people take this? What would it feel like? What would, how would people react? You know, would they even care what I, how I saw and what I saw in life? Um, but the moment I started sharing the reactions flooded in so positive. And before I knew it, people were saying, Stephanie, um, are, when are you writing a book? I'm like, I'm not writing a book. I'm just sharing some blogs. Well, I have to share this part, Sarah, because it's totally relevant to being a mom. I had had, I'd been writing. So I've been writing for a year or two. And I had um, my third kid in one week was sick. And I went to the pediatrician. I mean, literally, I'd had to take off of work the first two days. We were only, I think, in probably Wednesday or Thursday of the week, and the third one was sick. So I get to the pediatrician right before the office closed, and the pediatrician had waited for me. And when I get there, I mean, I'm a basket case. I knew I was like one thread away from falling apart and unraveling. And the pediatrician knows me well, and she looked at me. She didn't so much focus on my little guy at the moment, but she looked at me, and she's like, Stephanie, are you okay? And I, Sarah, I lost. I'm like, I am not okay. (laughs) I am so overwhelmed. I've got three kids and everybody's sick. I'm just overwhelmed with life. She went out on a limb and she invited me to a Bible study, which I think is a real beautiful thing that she did this because I know that, you know, that's pretty unusual. I ended up going to this Bible study and within a couple weeks, I ended up feeling empowered to share a chapter of this book that I'd been writing in secret. And it was only in sharing that chapter did I find that someone was writing a note while I was speaking this chapter. And when I sat down after reading it, she pushed this note over to me and said, this is the name of a woman that's going to change your life. And it just so happens that that was the individual who ended up becoming my book coach. And in that book coach process, yeah, she's the one that opened my eyes to um, what it takes to write a book and that my book was worthy. But here's the craziest part of all of it, Sarah. I... Even at that point, even though all the stars were aligning and the universe was working to help me make this happen, I was still holding back. I'm like, well, I don't know how I'm going to afford my book coach or how am I going to navigate this process? And it was it was in a very unique serendipitous series of events that I ended up starting a wreath business to help fund my entire book journey. Um, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that kicked off my um, entrepreneurial spirit. I I was not a wreath maker prior to making a wreath in any way at all. I think I'd made, I don't think I'd made any wreaths. Um, And I, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law just bought a home and for Christmas, I'm like, let's make a wreath to give them as a Christmas gift. And it exploded. And in six months I had all the funds I needed to write my book and get my book published and Get, work with a book coach and all that stuff. So little did I know though, Sarah, I don't, and I know this is a long journey, but it's interesting, I think, um, for your listeners and as other moms out there, because it's proof we can do it. But interestingly, I look back at all of that now. My book's um, Color Today Pretty has been out for two years this month. And I look back at all of that and I'm like, maybe all of that was, was meant to get me to where I'm at today. Um, the book 
was, you know, and was much more of a success than I could have ever dreamed. I had always said, if nobody buys my book and I have 500 copies of it in my basement, it will still be successful because I'm proving to my kids when you have a goal, you can accomplish it. Um, but it hit a number one in its category on Amazon within days of coming out. It has People have told me that it's saved and changed their lives, which is the most humbling and overwhelming feeling all wrapped up into one. Um, it's allowed me the opportunity to go speak to large groups uh, about the purpose of perspective and how to shift your mindset to see the good and to be the good in the thick of struggles and change and tough times. Um, and it's also opened doors for me to actually blend what I went to school for and what I'm passionate about. So when I was working in corporate America, I was doing PR and marketing, and now I get to do PR and marketing and communications consulting and coaching and support for authors and small businesses across the U.S. Um, and that that brought to birth that birthed Empower PR group, which um, has been able to help people and individuals who have a message uh, reach their target audiences and truly be game changing. Uh, so who would have known, Sarah, this little bitty seed I had within me to write when a friend told me you should write a blog, whatever explode into something that now gives me um, passionate passion and joy and fulfillment in ways I, I couldn't have dreamed possible. Well, and I think what's so special about that journey is that you didn't start by saying, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to become a famous author and I'm going to do all these things. You started in such small ways. Like I have these things. I'm just going to write them down. Okay. Now I'm going to have a blog. Well, okay. I found someone for a book, but I still have to make the money. So I'll just make some wreaths and see if I can pay for it. Like you really yeah. took it step by step by step by step. And now looking back on it, it, there's no way you could have gotten to where you are today without every single one of those little steps. But for you, it was so important to focus on what was right in front of you versus trying to create some crazy lofty thing. Cause I agree with you. Even if you had 500 books in your basement, you still wrote a book. You have a book with your name on it. So that right. is still a level of success. And it has been the joy to watch you from afar because we met each other through your old corporate America job. And then when you left that job, I was like, Oh my gosh, what now? And then when you started with the wreaths, I'm like, okay, what's happening here? And then there was a <laughs> book. And then now I've watched you grow. And I'm like, this is again, back to this way our relationship started. You are my friend and you are my mentor. You are once again, somebody that I'm looking at, like, how can I be more like Stephanie? How can I follow my way more? And I think it's just so important for other people, other women to hear that. Yes, you're still a mom. You're still a mom of three. And now you're providing for your family more than you ever have. And you made that journey. You created this for yourself. Absolutely. You know, I had somebody uh, halfway through go, oh my gosh, Stephanie, if you knew what it would take to get where you're at, would you have done it? And I said, no, I don't know if I would have because it was hard. But I realized this, I, and I think as all moms out there, whether you're starting a business, working full time, staying at home with the kids, raising your little ones, whatever your priority and your passion is. I think, you know, what helped me get where I'm at now and continues to push me where I want to go is I realize that we all, we, I have a goal. I have a, a top of the mountain goal that I want to get to. Right. But the only way to get to that mountain is by taking steps. And so instead of looking at the mountain, thinking of it as so such a lofty goal to reach, I'm looking down and I'm looking at my feet and I'm just making sure that every day I'm taking a step forward. And before I know it, I'm going to hit that goal. 
right? And I'm going to hit the top of the mountain. I'm going to look back and go, oh my gosh, look at how many steps I took. And then I might just see another mountain to go for. And I think you're right. You know, nothing that I've done has been because, I, oh my gosh, I want to start a business. Sarah, I didn't want to start a business. Or, oh my gosh, I want to write a book. No, I didn't want to do any of that. But actually, as as I was moving forward, I started to realize that um, that some for some reason, I was put in this place to do this. And maybe, you know, the, the story I told you that I mentioned to you that happened 20 years ago, um, just a high level, I was actually sexually harassed by my driver's ed instructor. And the police shared with me that they had sided with him. And this man is still has is still doing this types of stuff to other people. And it's awful, Sarah. But for 20 years, I was sworn to be quiet about it and to not talk about it. Well, I realize now that it's okay that I didn't talk about it for 20 years, but now with my book that and with the message I've shared, I've been able to reach other women who have told me that in sharing my story, they feel empowered to stand up for themselves. Right. And it's proof to me that those little steps we take and some of them are great. Some of them have the potential to hold us back. Each of those steps um, is shaping us to be, when we get to that mountaintop to be able to be the best individual we can be so that we can um, leave a lasting legacy, make a difference, touch one person. I think that's what my priority has always been. If I make a difference to one person, it's been worth it. Worth it. Mic drop. I'm out. Right. And the week or two after my book came out, I had a woman message me in the middle of the night and said, I have been having anxiety attacks. I was crawling into my closet. I grabbed my Kindle. It just so happened that your book was the one that I was reading. I opened it up and within five to 10 minutes, I was able to breathe again. You saved me. When she sent me that, I told my husband, I said, Corey, all right, mic drop. I don't care if, if I do anything else, this book has been successful, you know, and I feel that way. And I think all of us should feel that way, whether it's something that we've done, that we've created, whether it's looking at our children and realizing if we make a difference in them and them alone, it has been worth it. Right. A hundred percent. And that's sometimes yesterday I was, of course, feeling bad, feeling like I was behind at work. My daughter was like, I wish you could just stop and pay princess with me, play Barbies with me. Mm -hmm. And then I had to explain to her mommy's working from home and I'm sorry. And then later on that night, she got in my lap and said, mommy, you're the best mommy ever. And she, they just say that to me. And even though I'm so hard on myself, I forget that they don't see me that way. So that's what I have to put on the reminder. So, yeah, and it goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier, right? We're so hard on ourselves when in reality, you know, we are the best parent option that they have. And as long as we're giving it our all and we're trying, they see that and they're resilient and they love us. And if, and as much as they love us, we should love ourselves that way. Right. And imagine how much we love them. We want them to love themselves that way too. So, you know, we need to give ourselves, it's going back, Sarah, to the, giving ourselves some of this grace. Um, and and it's all meant to shape us. And we're all learning from this. And they're learning about this, too. Exactly. And we will give each other grace. And Stephanie, you continue to help people. And you continue to be an inspiration to others and to me. And thank you so much for joining me on That Mom Life This Week. And I can't wait to continue to grow old with you. <laughs> No more kids. I'm done at three. So I hope that we do. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. So we'll, here's to the next phase. 